Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, post-match. Carlos Alcaraz versus Novak Djokovic, Roland Garros 2023 semifinal. If you're not here for spoilers, click off the video in 3, 2, 1. Djokovic wins in 4 to advance to the final where he will gun for his 23rd major to pass Nadal on court Philippe Chatrier, a.k.a. Rafa's house. Just like Nadal got major number 21 and passed Novak in Melbourne, a.k.a. Novak's house. Highly anticipated Djokovic Alcaraz head-to-head that we had been waiting for for over a year, getting it late in a major. And for two sets, it fully delivered. It was glorious. I'm excited to break down those two sets, what the tactics were, the second set that went back and forth just to talk about how how rich that set was in twists and turns and, and high-quality tennis entertainment. But in the second game of the third set, Alcaraz began cramping, and that was all she wrote. Conditioning, endurance, that is what ultimately determined the outcome of this match. So let's start there. By the way, though, Novak has now won 20 of his last 21 major semifinals. Absurd. Mind-bending greatness. All right, let's talk about the endurance. First of all, let's address the elephant in the room. The, the guy who's 16 years older outlasted the guy who is 20 and younger. Age has always misled. Age always misleads with Novak. And sometimes it's led uh, for others like, like Rafa as well, right? I talked about this after the uh, Australian Open final when Nadal beat Medvedev. I talked about this after the Australian Open final where Djokovic beat team uh, a few years back. Novak Djokovic has won his last eight five-set matches. Three of those have been major finals. Recall when he came back from two sets to love down against Tsitsipas. Endurance, like match endurance, long-term endurance. Yes, I think he's trying to play shorter rallies these days, but match endurance has not been even a slight problem for Novak Djokovic since he was Carlos Alcaraz's age, since he was a young pup around 20, 21 years old. All right? It is not a factor with him. He has aged better than any athlete I've ever seen. Potentially Brady's in there. Uh, potentially LeBron is in there. And Nadal and Federer deserve to be in the conversation as well. I'm not going to get into detail now, but I think Novak, just as far as fending off the effects of aging go, is actually a little bit above Federer and Nadal as well. So, Age misleads. It's never been a thing here. All right? Now, let's talk about the Alcaraz factors, right? How could Alcaraz cramp at the start of the third set in a best-of-five set match? All right, first, the opponent. I'm going to start there uh, because you need to be able to push your opponent to a certain point uh, physically in order for them to to cramp and, and fail physically. So let's just start there. And this is true at all levels, all levels of tennis, from 12 and unders to rec to tennis in the park 
to challengers, to futures, to tour level, to major semifinals. When you play a better opponent, they make you work harder. It's just a universal truth of the sport, pretty much. All right? Unless they're just hitting an ace every time. All right? Uh, so opponent is first. Second is stress. I thought it was a big factor. And that's kind of the common refrain when you talk to former athletes as as I have as much as I can about cramping. What you'll hear most is, is most of them talking about how stress and nervousness is what contributes to cramping more than anything else. I thought Carlos Alcaraz looked incredibly tense throughout that first set, and that could have had a long-term effect. Uh, plus the second set, I do think that Carlitos looked a little bit more relaxed, played with more joy in the second set, but still, I mean, you talk about the intensity and the high-pressure moments throughout that set. Uh, it was really dialed up to an, uh, 100. Uh, Djokovic in this in this category, in the stress category, is almost definitely going to be feeling a lot less because of his experience. Third factor would be the weather. 87 degrees in Paris, by far the hottest day we've had over the course of the two weeks, and that is going to make things more difficult physically. So intensity of the tennis itself, the stress from the occasion, the weather, those I think are the three things that kind of bring me to trying to explain why Alcaraz cramped. Of course, all of those conditions are the same for both players. It's something that I wish could go unsaid because it's so obvious, but I know I have to say it because otherwise uh, I will read it in the comments section. Obviously, same conditions for both players. I will say now, you know, Alcaraz cramping in general appears to me uh, more of a of a phenomenon specific to the factors and the conditions of this match, of this specific match. That is to say that there has not been a pattern in Alcaraz's career of cramping. There has not been a systematic problem in Alcaraz's career of lacking match endurance. In fact, quite the contrary. As last year on two separate occasions, he played two matches in one day, went 4-0. and Both times they were at the tail end of, of tournaments, tournaments that he ended up winning. In one case, he played a marathon match. Uh, about three and a half hours against Alex Dimonor in the semifinal and recovered for the final to win the title. Not to mention the most famous example, U.S. Open last year. Yes, he was playing a lot of matches at night, but he set the record for the most time on court en route to a major title. Anybody ever. So while I do think that this needs to be assessed on the Carlos Alcaraz side, what happened here and how can we avoid it in the future, I think the biggest thing is the stress factor. I think just figuring out how to relax is going to be probably the biggest uh, thing because I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure the hydration was correct. I'm sure the nutrition was correct. And oh, by the way, they had two days before this match, two days to prepare. One of the reasons why in my pre-match analysis, 
I never even mentioned conditioning. I never even mentioned endurance because I am truly caught off guard that this is what decided the match. I did not expect this. But yeah, I think while it does need to be assessed what happened here and that they do need to try to fix it in the future, uh, it is not a systematic problem with Alcaraz. And I think that what you should really be zooming in on is not that Alcaraz has a problem here, but that there were a bunch of factors in specifically in this match that led to what is a rare occurrence, which is Alcaraz prematurely losing endurance and match conditioning. A rare occurrence, right? Let's get into the, the actual tennis here. Again, as a neutral, it, it is somewhat disappointing that we only saw them compete at full strength for two sets. That said... Uh, it was so fascinating to watch the two sets that they were both able to compete at full strength at. Uh, first set, I'll I'll just basically talk about all the things that were working for Djokovic here. All right. Making Alcaraz run into the forehand corner. Hitting with intensity into the deuce side. Novak avoiding too many backhands cross court. Don't want to hit too many backhands cross cross. Sometimes, you know, you can't avoid it entirely. But when there's a chance to hit the ball with uh with pace and with with depth, uh when there's time, when in doubt, go middle or go down the line. And what that does is it puts Alcaraz into the forehand-to-forehand forehand exchange, which Djokovic, I think, was really winning for the most part because of his pace absorption and because of Alcaraz's... because of Alcaraz's difficulty keeping the forehand wing compact when the ball is coming quick. So, again, kind of the Yannick Sinner plan here. Hug the baseline, big power make Alcaraz run into his forehand side, that makes it so that he's really not able to create inside-out and inside-in forehands. Alcaraz is not able to generate off of his backhand from the ad side and then create inside-out or inside-in forehands or forehands from the middle uh, or, you know, find the backhand drop shot or the inside-out forehand drop shot. He's so good attacking from that side. When you attack Alcaraz into his forehand corner, but you have to do it with purpose because if he's not on the run and if he's not rushed, you're not going to get anywhere. So a lot of it is about Djokovic's skill, his ability to hit the backhand down the line way better than most, and his ability uh, to hit his forehand cross court earlier and harder and deeper and more angled than the 99%. Those things are essential. When you get Alcaraz on the run to his forehand, he's just not hurting you. And if Alcaraz isn't hurting you, you're you're doing something well. Sometimes uh, you can find errors with his running forehand, especially when he's looking to change down the line. Uh, it is not as clinical going down the line or as precise going down the line as Novak Djokovic's is. And more often than not, also, you can anticipate the cross court. And Novak was certainly doing that. Backhand down the line. Now we, now we lean cross court. And we're going we're gonna to get a chance to use our forehand if you're Novak Djokovic. 
That was the baseline pattern. I thought the serve return dynamic mattered more than I expected. I, in in the pre-match, right? I said, Djokovic, better serve, better return. These conditions, though, might diminish that advantage for Novak. However, this clay court was so dry and it was playing so quick. I, I think Novak was getting a ton of cheap points. Uh, early in the second set, I checked and I got 36% total serves. So first serves and second serves. 36% unreturned, which is a really healthy number, especially when you're including second serves. Really healthy number for Novak. Uh, the backhand return for Alcaraz was a struggle. I don't think there was enough margin on it. And the dry clay was making it a little bit harder to move. Novak was hitting behind Alcaraz, especially on the plus one. So big serve, a lot of the time out wide. And then out and then behind Alcaraz, it took it was taking away his speed because with less traction on the dry clay court, especially as the as the first set got kind of midway through and late down the stretch, it was very hard for Alcaraz or Novak for that matter, so both players, to actually stop on a dime off of the recovery out of the wide return of serve and go back the other way. But Djokovic was able to take advantage of that a little bit better with uh, his precision first serving. Uh, whereas Alcaraz, what Novak was doing against Alcaraz was actually hitting the, the high return, the high loopy return, and buying himself plenty of time to get to the middle to fully recover and actually have his body weight centered by the time Alcaraz was hitting the plus one. There were, a, there were a few occasions where Alcaraz would step in, take the high looping return out of the air, but he figured that out a little bit late. It was, it was too late when, uh, when Alcaraz started to do that in the first set. Alcaraz was also on clutch in this opening set. He had four break opportunities. He went 0 for 4. Uh, I think they were spread across two separate games. He looked stressed. He looked tense. It reminded me of 2022 Alcaraz after Madrid and before the U.S. Open, where his level, he just wasn't making balls in big spots that you need to make. There was particularly one serve that Djokovic was with the wind feeling very uncomfortable in this particular game, serving with the breeze at his back. And on, on one of these break points, Novak hit a softball first serve, an absolute meatball. And Alcaraz missed the backhand return, which you can't do. Uh, so, so there were definitely some mistakes. The first break point was also pretty bad. It was a backhand drop shot that Alcaraz missed into the net was not a great position to hit the drop shot from. And normally I give Alcaraz the benefit of the doubt when it comes to drop shots because he's so good at them that, you know, he, he can hit them from, from tough positions from time to time. But it hadn't been working really early on in the match whatsoever. And I just thought Djokovic's backhand cross court was, was too good. It was too good to drop shot off of. So I didn't think it was the right play. And by the way, the ball, it didn't hit the net tape. It was halfway down on the net. So it didn't even come anywhere near uh, clearing the net. There was another free point, by the way, on the fourth break point, which was a great Djokovic first serve. Uh, returnable, somewhat returnable, but it would have had to be a really good return. It was a good first serve by Djokovic. 
Uh, overall, Novak dominated the long rallies throughout the first set. I thought some poor shot tolerance from Alcaraz when it came to unforced errors. I don't think it, it was down to fatigue at all. I think it was just over-anxiousness and uh, I would say overly ambitious uh, shot tolerance at times. A little bit too flat, especially on the backhand. Too flat and low. And you got to credit Novak for for threatening, right? He never he never allowed Alcaraz to feel like I can groove the ball into the court, I can play safe, and I'm not going to be attacked. Uh, he did feel at all times because of the way Djokovic was uh, really striking a perfect balance between consistency and aggression. I think Alcaraz did feel that pressure, and especially again the defense and the movement was diminished by how dry this clay court was, and it, it was slippery out there. Uh, so that might be an explanation, but the consistency in the long rallies was uh, real a real advantage to Djokovic, and that that of course is uh, is somewhat unsurprising. Novak is is a little bit he's much better actually at just limiting the neutral unforced errors in lengthy baseline rallies. I guess I, I I guess I mentioned this, but my last point that I that I put for the first set is the pace absorption is really incredible for Novak. The weight of shot, it's really a non-factor, and that especially I think emboldens Novak to go forehand to forehand with Alcaraz, and it, I just got the feeling in some of those cross-court forehand to forehand exchanges. I think I already said this here, but. I really thought Djokovic was was better in those because as as much as Alcaraz can hit big and heavy, the way Djokovic is able to take it early and 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 redirect that pace and kind of use the pace against Alcaraz, and I feel like it just comes back harder and faster the harder Alcaraz hits in into that exchange. Uh, I thought usually it was Alcaraz looking rushed in that fast paced forehand to forehand, and Novak looking fairly comfortable. Second set, this is where I'll get into a little bit more of the stuff that Alcaraz did well, but ultimately the second set, to me, was an epic, just maximum entertainment, and I, I tweeted out after the set that the entertainment value of that second set was richer than most matches could ever hope for. I didn't know at the time that when I was tweeting that out that the match was pretty much over, so that was kind of the entire match. Uh, it would be kind of the entire entertainment value of the match. Uh, but I thought right away, you know, Alcaraz playing with a little bit more joy and positivity. Uh, he just he just settled in, uh, and that was important to see. There was a clear shift in his body language. At 3-all, Djokovic missed two backhands on top of the net, where I, I think maybe they were off of... Uh, Maybe off of Alcaraz drop shots. Maybe one off of a sitter that he earned off of a drive. I don't. I, I'm not looking at the the charting right now, and I maybe don't remember perfectly. But I just remember two backhands inside the service line that Djokovic hit long. Mistake. You know, two mistakes that I. It was the first time where I was thinking like, okay, that was a real missed opportunity because I'm pretty sure Alcaraz held at 15 or something of the sort, and it, it really could have been a service game where Djokovic was applying maximum scoreboard pressure and threatening to break, and it wasn't. And after that game, Novak calls for the trainer and starts to get worked on um, on the forearm. 
Official medical timeout. There was a pause. And in that next game, Djokovic serving at 3-4, his serve falls off. Again, I did not expect the serve, the first serve, to be such a factor in the opening set as it was. But it was. And early on in the second. This is where Djokovic lost his first serve. The pace went way down. It was just a point starter. And he allowed Alcaraz to get comfortable uh, in neutral positions. And from there, it was a combination of Carlitos playing better in those positions because he was relaxed and playing with joy. And and Djokovic allowing him to get to those neutral positions because his first serve fell off. Uh, There were great aggressive forehands from Alcaraz in this game. There was a great backhand drop shot from Alcaraz in this game. There was awesome slice defense at Deuce that forced Djokovic uh, to hit an approach shot and set up a forehand pass from Alcaraz that was too hot, too much pace for Djokovic to be able to volley. And then on break point, we saw the play that I talked about in my preview that I thought was going to be a big key key to success for Alcaraz. And he did use it sometimes. But the best example was on this break point where he got it high over the shoulders, made Djokovic hit a cross-court backhand. Remember, again, in the first set, he was trying not to hit the cross-court backhand. He was going down the line more. But in this case, he hits it cross-court, and it's a little bit weak. And Alcaraz is able to run around it and finish with his inside-in forehand. So Alcaraz goes up 5-3. He serves for the second set. There were some good examples of the forehand-to-forehand thing that I was talking about where Djokovic uh, showed off his pace absorption and his compact, quickly produced power in that exchange that rushes Alcaraz. Uh, so he played a couple of really good points early. I do think late later on in the game, there were several opportunities where Alcaraz had passing shots. Some of them in tight off of cat and mouse exchanges. One of them at deuce was a forehand ground stroke. Passing shots that Alcaraz really should make. And again, the the play under pressure for him, it looked like he just shrunk his targets and was trying to make him too good. He misses some of those passing shots. And Djokovic with, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, a gorgeous backhand down the line. Uh, breaks to stay in this second set. Yes, I am remembering it correctly. And on that occasion, he took the high backhand and he he placed it beautifully down the line. So that made it 5-4. Djokovic nearly broken for the set at 4-5, right? Love 40. Unbelievable legs from Alcaraz. But he missed a pass at Love 40. It would have been an incredible point. And he did all the hard work, and then on a forehand pass, he he sailed it. But then Djokovic finally finds his serve, goes bigger on the serve, surprises Carlitos with the serve and volley, and digs out of that game. Serve and volley was big here for, for Novak. There were some, some good ones, but also he was pressuring the Alcaraz return of serve, which just wasn't really up to par if you look at the big picture in this match. Five all. Djokovic earns a break point in this game. Misses kind of a shocking high backhand cross-court trade. A, a pretty routine backhand cross-court, unforced error that he hit wide. The only thing you point to is, once again, the contact point. That that it was uncomfortably high for Novak. Other than that, he really shouldn't have missed that on break point. 5-6. Djokovic serving. Uh, serving volley off the first point. Did he go to it one too many times? Was it just a little bit like, all right, it worked really well. 
when it was a surprise in the last service game. But after kind of leaning on it in that service game, you're just going to go to it again on the first point. Well, this time Alcaraz makes a really good low return and Djokovic misses a backhand volley wide. Uh, second point of that 5-6 game, very well-disguised backhand drop shot against the wind by Alcaraz forces the error. Uh, he started to get the feel on the drop shot. I think both players struggled to use the drop shot with success because, like, let's face it, these guys are not only really quick, not only really good in the cat and mouse, but, like, they knew it was coming because throughout this tournament, both players have used it so well. And you have to—here's what great players do. You have to take the other player's— best options away. If they beat you with their worst options, too good. So for Djokovic, that was, all right, Alcaraz, you, I'm not going to let you beat me with the drop shot, with the forehand drop shot, but if you beat me with your forehand down the line, off of my backhand down the line or my forehand cross court, then okay, too good. But I'm not going to let you beat me with your inside out and inside in forehand or your forehand drop shot or your backhand drop shot for that matter. I'm not going to allow that to happen, Right. All right, so, uh, yeah, good drop shot, a love 30. And then it was kind of two errors um, that that were were somewhat earned. I mean, Alcaraz hit a good backhand down the line. I, I didn't chart it as an unforced error. I counted it as a forced error at love 30. But then at love 40, you know, certainly an unforced error by Djokovic, uh, you know, to come back from 40 love down twice in a row would have been pretty difficult. And it did feel like just at the end of the second set— uh, those last two points were a bit of a let-up for Djokovic. Perhaps all of the the energy and the pressure in that second set, which was absolutely immense, uh, just kind of led to a, a bit of a letdown there at, towards the tail end. So uh, that's how Alcaraz wins this back-and-forth epic of a second set, 7-5. Uh, again, Carlitos's cramps set in in the second game of the third set. And that was it. Uh, I'm sure there will be uh, plenty to, to discuss um, as we move on here, but that is that is all I got for this one. Again, it'll be Djokovic in the final. Rude and Zverev just started, so it's time for me to watch that. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.